Welcome to the seventh episode of East World 2014 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Holmstone, and joining me as always is the Canadian who has tried to convince us for years that he knows what wrist-sized means, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. And the guy who overcompensates for his little legs by taking leaps instead of steps, David Bindley. Yes, I do. Continuing the recurring joke of Bindles being tiny. <laughs> and I said this to Bindles earlier, I'd completely forgotten that they took a three-week break of mourning after half one in this season. It was it was three weeks of mourning. It was three weeks of mourning, because I looked this up, I'd completely forgotten that they do actually take a break between episodes six and seven. But um, yeah, in, in honour of half leaving, they did take a three-week break, allegedly for the Sochi Olympics, but we all know what that actually meant. Uh, for 2014? Yeah, but it's the last time that Vidim does this. And also, I don't think they actually did it in the next time trailer. I don't think they said in four weeks' time or whatever it was, like they did in Japan. I think they just said next time. So that's why they had pretty much a recap of almost the whole season at the start of the episode? Yeah, because it really confused me. And obviously they didn't even acknowledge it at the start of the episode that they had taken the three weeks off, and I looked it up. It's also why they did the future stuff at the end of the last episode. And... The reason that they didn't do it in 2018 or 2022 is because it's now on Saturdays. And as Bindles pointed out, they don't do speed skating on Saturdays. So, <laughs> awesome. so previously, the final six took a glimpse into the future and split up to search for each other and prevent Yokos from entering the game again, where Jan Willem went undetected and won a personal reward, inexplicably sharing it with Tico. At the execution, it went down to the wire, but sadly our hero half was the fifth person and third woman in a row sent home. Art says that Arf's elimination left a confused group behind as she puts it herself. It almost seems like there are multiple moles in play at times, but only one actually in the game alongside four contestants, one of whom will need to go home soon, but not before the return of Tapitos and some devilish dilemmas. This is the last time they use Tapitos as well, isn't it? Um, I think there's one more, but I can't remember which one. Because they were a real feature for a time in Vidim. They were introduced in Mexico, if I remember rightly. Yeah, they were supposed to replace the Jokers. Yeah, they used them every season, basically, and then then they just died a death. It's kind of funny that Vidim does have twists and they think, eh, we've done this enough and opt to retire it. And then still keeps the black exemption. And the double eliminations. Yeah, I presume next episode is double elimination. I can confirm there are no double eliminations in this season. Oh, no, no. <laughs> But there's only 10 episodes. Indeed there are. And this is episode 7. Yeah, make of that what you will. Congratulations on learning to count. Wait, wait, <laughs> hang on. It's episode 7, there's 5 people. Episode 8, there's 5 people again. Episode 9, there's 4 people. Episode 10 is the reunion. Hmm, I don't like that. <laughs> They do something that I don't think they've done again since at the end of this season. So the episode title is You Must See, and it is day 13 in Lawag, and Tico tells everyone at breakfast that they'll be going home soon. Sophie says she's alone now that Arthur's gone. Susan and Frank and Tico and Jan Willem have all paired up with each other. And Sophie's just alone doodling pictures by herself. Yep. Jan Willem says after a long ride into the countryside, they arrive at a location that he's seen before the Bangai Wind Farm. On one of the 20 wind turbines is €2,000. To find out which, they've got to complete three mini-challenges, the first of which is to walk 70 metres from the start line. 
I thought we were going to get this whole memento thing where he's like, I've seen this before. And then he flashes back to some really traumatic event from his childhood. And then he realizes, oh, yes, I have been here before and has to put together a big murder mystery. This is where my parents were killed. Nothing could be more traumatic than spending two weeks with Tigo. Or indeed working with your own. You get the worst of both worlds. I do love at this point in the season that they are just completely out and out saying that Tico is a prick and he's awful to be around. Like, nobody likes him. It's quite entertaining for me as someone who vaguely remembered hating Tico at the time and now very much understands why. So Sophie overcompensates for her little legs by taking leaps instead of steps. Yeah, her, her leaps were so funny. Susan and Jan Willem stop at the same pole. Sophie's way ahead. And at the wrong pole, as is Frake, but Jan Willem and Susan get the right one. Right before that, though, we find out that Susan hates the fact that Tico is walking alongside her for a while, because he's always playing games to get you out of sorts. He is the closest I think we've had in Vidum to Chaotic Evil. So as a result of Jan Willem and Susan getting the right pole, they knock two windmills out. The second mini-challenge is just to fill a bag with 14 kilos of sand, and they have an example that they can feel only once. I didn't know it was so tough to measure 14 kilograms. Freak measures just over 16, and then everyone else has pretty much double or more. And I can't figure out how they were so far off. It's because they stuffed a six-year-old in the sack. (laughs) Yeah. Don't you? The magic number for all of these challenges is 70 because of the height of the wind turbines. But it's it's rather impressive that four of the five people really, really biff this challenge. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out how they... Because it'd be the same sand. 14 kilos is still 14 kilos. Were they not allowed to lift it up before they presented it to Art? I've just no idea how they managed to screw it up so much. Because Frakes weighs 16 kilos, or just over. Jan Willems is 30. Susan's is 31, Sophie's is 25, and then Tico is 35. That's a lot of sand. Yeah, that's... I, I don't understand, just you would feel that's that's a lot of weight. That'd be at least what? If everyone was off, everyone other than Freak was off by at least 9 kilos, that's what, over 20 pounds? You're going to notice that big of a difference. Or you should. The total of the four non-Freak people were 121 kilos. I wonder if Tigo just kept filling it up to show off how strong he is. Look at me, I can lift up 35 kilos with one hand. I don't even know if the mole had to do anything with this challenge. I wonder if the mole just casually looked over and thought, eh, well, I can fit in quite nicely here. There's no incentive for me to try. Or whoever's the mole should have just put in 60 kilos on her. Heart saying, oh, everyone else was already measured. I don't know why you're still putting sand in the bag. Clearly you're over if we've already measured everyone else's. It's one of those challenges that's not really easy to mole in an inventive way. But then all of them fuck it up so badly, <laughs> you laugh anyway. Yeah, the one thing that we can say for certain is the mole had too much sand in their bag. Yeah, that is a certainty. To what extent? I'm not going to say but the mole did have too much sand in their bag. Yeah, because I wonder if Freak is the mole. I wonder if he's thinking, oh, crap, I was the only one who barely missed it. I had the moliest measurement out of everybody while everyone else went way over. So the final challenge is to count 70 seconds with a wiggle room of five seconds either side. 
Once it's passed, they need to cross the line. Yeah, in Big Brother Canada, they do a version of this challenge where they're in some sort of coffin, there's bugs to distract them, and they have to try and count to either 60 minutes or 100 minutes. It's a classic challenge they do every season now. And I'm just uh, I'm just surprised that not everyone was able to get 70 seconds. I mean, that's barely over a minute. And five-second margin of error is pretty generous. In fairness, you know, 60 or 100 minutes in a coffin covered with cockroaches or whatever is still less terrifying than 70 seconds standing next to Tigo. And also you're underestimating the distraction that comes from being underneath a windmill rather than having cockroaches and water poured all over you. Or indeed, hearing messages from home. And then here it's just, oh, 70 seconds of Tigo, I'll never be able to keep focused. Just being able to smell Tigo must be punishment enough. (laughs) Oh god. He looks like he smells. (laughs) (laughs) He looks like he smells. Well, we established last episode that he's obviously still smoking, so he probably just stinks of stale cigarettes. It's like uh, during my birthday, I went over to my brother's house and uh, him and my sister-in-law, they they have a 10-year-old together and uh, she was talking about some kid at school and she was like, yeah, uh, physically he's not smelly, but mentally he's smelly. <laughs> so maybe she was talking about Tigo. No, he's physically and mentally smelly. <laughs> what has this podcast become? We now have the same maturity level of my 10-year-old niece. Oh, no, we're way below that. We're way worse than that. (laughs) Yeah. So Susan says she's never been so excited to count. Sophie gets distracted by the windmills. And then Jan Willem has maybe the quote of the episode for me when he says that timing is his job, so he was eager to do well in this challenge. And from my rather extensive experience of radio, you have computers for that, you moron. You don't need to think in radio. It'd be hilarious if they did just as bad with this as they did with the sandbag challenge, so somebody just waits 15 minutes before stepping out for the 70 seconds. There was a challenge on the first Australian Survivor, the one way back in 2002. It was like the final challenge. It was basically light a fire and stick it up as close to 38 minutes after after the challenge starts. And they basically ended up calling off the challenge because one person was just sitting there for so long they just ended up giving up. So like they had a winner, and then they, and they're like, okay, they've won. You, we can't keep waiting around for you to do this. Just you've lost. Go away. How much over did they go? Uh, Hours. I don't think it was that long, but I think the winner was. I think the winner was only about three or four minutes off, and then they just kept going for about another ten minutes after the end. I think. Oh, that's not that long. Yeah. I mean, somehow they have managed to make three challenges that probably shouldn't be that interesting, i.e. walking in a straight line, counting, and putting sand in a bag. Actually be rather interesting in this challenge. I think it's because they made it made the three minigames so quick that they got the absolute best highlights out of it. You get really quick uh, hits from confessionals and just plow through it. And then they're equally quick with choosing the windmills at the end, too. So I think with a challenge like this, I'm glad with how much they condensed it and how little we saw, because there was very little mention of the strategies that people were using in the challenge. I feel like we just got enough to where it wasn't boring for the audience, and yeah, just fun fun little mini games you can do really quickly in an episode of Vidim and not have to stretch it out. 
I mean, in contrast to, say, a challenge in Renaissance that went on for nearly two full episodes and then they eliminated seven people all at once. And we're just thinking, why did we have to sit through all of that? Here, it's just three quick mini games that are fun to see. Pick a windmill, boom, challenge is over. I, I will say Venom really seems to struggle with like these sort of games on beach sort of challenges for some reason. But this is about as good as they could have done. Yeah, I think this one also benefits from the future challenge. Yeah. Going back to the future as we actually are. I never remembered the future challenge being that fun. But it has such an impact in this episode and next episode, because that's where all the futures come from, that actually it makes a potentially borderline slightly boring challenge like this really interesting because Jan Willem then has to actually have the strategy of going, right, what do I remember from this and how can I use this to my advantage? And you have the complete opposite with Sophie in the next challenge, where actually people walking and describing things probably isn't that interesting on the surface of it, but because of the added layer of the future challenge, it does make it far more interesting than it probably has any right to be. Yeah, I think the fact that they did tie it in because it makes the audience even more engaged, thinking, okay, how did this tie in from last episode four weeks ago? And is it going to be tied in as well as a possible hidden clue that the audience may be able to grasp for the final reveal as well? Yeah. Yeah, I think without that future challenge, this challenge is kind of a bit of a nothing, but with that, it works. Yeah, without the future challenge, it basically turns into pick a number from 1 to 15. And there's that even bigger payoff of Jan Willem specifically remembering what he saw the episode before. So Tico says that life goes a bit faster in his head, so he can't count to 70 properly. And he's by far the first to step forward after 55 seconds, followed by Sophie at 62, then Susan and Frank at 69, and Jan Willem at 71. And as a result, they knock out another three windmills, and only the three who did well at the timing challenge can actually climb a windmill, meaning they've got a one in five chance of picking the right one. They have eliminated numbers 19, 14, 8, 3, and 1, which scuppers Jan Willem's plan of picking the very rightmost one, number 1, as that's what he thinks he saw in his future. Jan Willem then picks number 2, Susan number 4, and Frake goes off-piste and goes for number 18, and Jan Willem admits to the group that he had seen the windmills before. Well, yeah, there's so many of them in the Netherlands. And with an added bit of fun to this challenge, they all got to climb a ladder for 70 metres up in the air. Susan says she thought it would be some kind of spiral staircase, as they shouldn't make it harder than necessary to do repairs. That was a ridiculously tall ladder. I could see a lot of people freaking out, not just not just Susan. And Jan Willem describes his arms as being sour. I've never heard of sour arms before. You hear of sweet abs, but you never hear of sour arms. It's because of all the licorice they have in Holland. I'm also glad you went for sweet abs rather than sweet ass. Well, Jennifer's already gone. <laughs> there we go. Menifer, I think you mean. Menifer, pardon me. Oh, oh no. That's 2,000 out of the pot for that. Yeah, Menifer. You said the swear word. <laughs> Menifer, pardon me. So Frank is also afraid of heights, so this is a super fun challenge for him. And Susan decides to bail on climbing the ladder as she's too scared. She gets upset about having to tell the others that she bailed. What would have happened if her if they revealed her windmill had the money? They wouldn't have won it. Well, how would the group have reacted to that? Oh, I think they would have been very annoyed at her. And probably thought she was the mole. Yeah, Tigo just starts kicking sand in her face. 
Well, Tico does that anyway, because he's a prick. So Freight finds nothing apart from a beautiful view, and luckily for them, Jan Willem finds an envelope containing the 2,000 euros for the challenge. And in confessional, Tico thanks Jan Willem for working hard to boost the pot that he's going to win. I like how Freak said that once he got to the top of the windmill, he felt like an action hero. And I was thinking, yeah, there are a lot of action heroes who climb up to the top of a Filipino windmill. It made a lot of sense, but it did also make me laugh that they turned off the windmills for them to climb as well. Yeah, it's not really a high-stakes thing or a massive feat to accomplish. It's not like he was beating up uh, a bunch of villains on top of the windmill while the windmill's at full speed, and then maybe the windmill breaks off and heads for the water. What they should have done is attached the envelope to the um, to the windmill blades and had Jan Willem have to collect it as it moves around. The thing I love is they basically had to send somebody up there twice, first to get the the envelope up there, and then also to get the envelope up there for the video. <laughs> and also, presumably, they had to put the cameraman up there as well. So Susan admits that she cried on the way up and that her kids probably lost all respect for her as her technique was so wrong she's got bruised arms now. I lost respect for her. You had respect for her? Well, more, more than the amount of respect I had for Tigo. That's zero, though. <laughs> so they are then driven into the mountains for the second challenge. Tico says they were going up and the road got higher, so he knew they were going to a mountainous area. I like how they just randomly fixated on this one woman crouching on the side of the road, and it's all of these nice SUVs driving by all of these normal cars, and then, of course, they throw all of the contestants into the back of a jeepney. It's like, jeepneys aren't that common in northern Luzon. If television programs have taught me anything, everyone uses a jeepney, zero exceptions. Especially Manila. Manila, there's so many cars. It's not even that high of a percentage of jeepneys, especially in the big cities. And then especially in uh, in the touristy areas. And they were going to that that really northern town, Vihan. And there's not going to be that many jeepneys up there because it's mainly it's mainly a tourist place. I, I think you're misremembering. Every single person drives a jeepney, no exceptions. Why would they lie to me? Why would I lie to you? Uh, so Susan and Sophie have a private conversation up the mountain, and Sophie admits that she saw our future as well, as she thinks that it relates to the upcoming challenge. Her tactic with sharing it with Susan was telling it to the one person she thinks is most eager for the challenge to fail. Susan gets very geographically confused when they reach this northern town, because she says, wow, the scenery, it's just like Northern Ireland or Jurassic Park. That was Sophie, I think. Oh, Sophie said that? Okay. So Sophie, I'm thinking, that's way off. Northern Ireland is pretty much the area that's the furthest away from the Philippines. And then Jurassic Park is famously famously filmed in Hawaii, which is also quite far from the Philippines. So how you get combined those two in in the Philippines is mind-boggling to me. You know the funniest bit? They don't even go that far away because you can see the windmills in the background of this next challenge. If she ends up any less geographically accurate, she's going to wind up hosting Amazing Race Australia. And then we get more in between that conversation with Susan and Sophie. Susan's theory is Sophie is the mole and Sophie is seeking a coalition with someone who she views as an innocent face. 
So clearly these two quite aren't on the same page in this coalition, especially with how much Susan interrogates Sophie for why she's offering the information about what Aff wrote in the note. So do you want to know how far apart um, the wind farm and the start of this challenge is? Sure. 17 kilometers. It is significantly less than that. They're on the same Google map sheet. They're probably about two miles apart. (laughs) Wow. That's like the whole Bora Bora leg from season 22 of Amazing Race. (laughs) Where they were like, go to the hotel, and then it turns out that was the pit stop hotel, so they had to do a whole lap around the island just to get to the other dock. Yeah, that was the same leg. How do we get lost in this tiny, tiny, play, tiny island that's the only piece of land within a thousand kilometers of here? So Art tells them that spread out over the coastline are four parts of an image, and by collecting those four parts, they will know the key to earning money for the pot, 2,000 euros to be precise. However, they're not allowed to take the pieces with them and have half an hour to find the money. They get a compass and a card with four directions on it, and four of them need to head to a location each and find part of the image and relate back via walkie-talkie to the fifth person. And they volunteer Susan to stay at the compass. Immediately. They decided on Susan very, very, very quickly. Do you think that Sophie made a tactical error here by not admitting she had information on this challenge? It's tough because it depends on, is it an error in terms of getting money into the pot or an error in terms of trying to get herself some sort of personal reward or doing something that would draw suspicion to her? Yeah, because she plays this completely opposite to how Jan Willen played the windmill challenge, in that she doesn't tell anyone anything apart from Susan, and as a result, they basically fail the challenge immediately. And she would draw more suspicion onto herself if she said something, because then they'll be thinking, oh, how'd you know it was going to be a fingerprint? Yeah, like I don't think we've seen the thing that Sophie saw in the, uh, in the future yet, unless, did she have wind film as well? I thought they showed her looking at fingerprints. No, that was Arf's one, I think. Oh. Hmm. Yeah, Sophie saw the windmills. That's probably why she was never in the... Why she wasn't in either of the pairings at the start of the episode. And especially when she betrayed uh, Freak with um, Tigo's black exemption there. Tigo was not interested in, in working with Sophie anymore after that, and certainly not really anybody else. You could see how much Susan... Uh, hesitates here when Sophie approaches her. There is one good line when Susan and Sophie do have their chat which is just like, oh yeah, us women need to stick together, female alliance. (laughs) Because that's worked out so well recently. Yeah, Susan just turns around deadpan and goes, I know how the female alliance turned out. Three in a row. (laughs) I know I've said this to Bindles, but Susan is such a delight in this season. She gives such good reactions to things. She's getting a lot of banners this season. So far, at least, just because her her expressions make me laugh a lot. And I'd never remembered her being this kind of entertaining um, reaction-wise. Yeah, because as soon as Arth goes home, uh, Susan's airtime has clearly been given a boost. Susan and Frank basically carry most of the reactions now that Arth has gone, I think. Mainly because I don't acknowledge Tico as a person. So as we said, Susan gets volunteered to stay at the compass and everyone else picks their locations. Freight goes to the beach, Tico goes up a mountain so they can't fucking hear him, and Jan Willem and Sophie head together originally, but then split up. Tico's reasoning for not going to the beach is because there wouldn't be snakes. Hmm? 
which makes no sense. Meanwhile, he complains about the thistles, which is the first time he's shown concern about pricks all season. <laughs> Very true. And Freight gets the easy one and goes to the beach and is pretty much spot on already. Tico then compounds his arseholishness by switching off his walkie-talkie because <laughs> he didn't want to hear everyone chatter. Is that the first time somebody has done that who isn't the mole? They just shut off the walkie-talkie out of annoyance and frustration and just not wanting to really do their part. I'm surprised he didn't like try to get a screwdriver and then unscrew the back of the walkie-talkie and throw the batteries into the bushes. Surely he knows there's an easier way, which is change the channel. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to turn it off, just change the channel, you won't hear anything. She changes the channel and he hears some inappropriate moaning on the channel. Who else is here? Someone's having a good holiday. So Freak finds his picture, which is allegedly a map of a maze. And Sophie hears that and immediately thinks that those are fingerprints. And then Freak gives a very specific, detailed description of the fingerprint that nearly eats up the entire 30-minute time limit. I know we mentioned this with the Tiantan route, but there is something hilariously fun about someone giving far too much detail in a challenge like this. We had it with Arf taking eight minutes to describe two Buddhas, and we have it again with Frake taking about the same amount of time to describe a quarter of a fingerprint here. Yeah, you want to start in the top left quadrant. Within that quadrant, you want to be in the top right of the top left quadrant. Draw a line at an 85-degree angle for about two inches, and then... I'm thinking, that's not how, that's not an efficient way to describe it. And then Sophie, when she gets her piece, she goes in the exact opposite direction of being extremely vague on how to draw it. Only Jan Willem was helpful. I, I know this show wants either discipline, but sometimes they need an either safe word. So does Tico with him finding that porn channel. That's probably what he's listening to. He's listening to Ada Discipline. That's all right. Logan can tell him all about the channel. All the greatest hits. So Sophie finds her board right at the top of her mountain and she confirms that it's a fingerprint and wonders if they can just get away with saying it's a fingerprint. Just That's just one line. It's a fingerprint! Done! She also then gets distracted by a cow. <laughs> what is it with people getting distracted by animals this season? Because this is about the third time it happens. It's not just people, it's the fact that Arthur and Sophie are in an alliance, in episode 6 at least, and both of them in the space of an episode, get distracted by different farm animals. <laughs> so this is how to draw the fingerprint. Ooh, that cow has a puffy tail. <laughs> and yet nobody gets distracted by the horses that we see earlier in the challenge. Or a bear. There's a bear in the background too, playing basketball. There is, it's Paddington. He's just sat on a log with uh, a marmalade sandwich. <laughs> So she starts off very vague and comes up with junctions. Susan wonders what wrist size means. And Jan Willem says that Susan was never going to get Sophie's directions. With three minutes left, Tico hasn't even found his board yet, or indeed spoken to anyone in this challenge. Jan Willem comes up with a new system, which is dot to dot, which become lines later. Time runs out as only three pieces were found. Susan's given four potential fingerprints. Only one of them is the moles, and that is where the money is hidden behind. She randomly picks one, and picks the wrong one, earning them no money of 2000 for the challenge. Yeah, I'm not surprised she blew this. No. I paused on the fingerprints, and I still couldn't work out which one was correct. No. Do you remember whether it's actually the mole's fingerprint as well? 
Uh, I didn't remember it at the time um, until Art mentioned it. Yeah, I can't remember whether it is actually the mole's fingerprint blown up like that's meant to be a clue, in the same way that Euroan's writing was meant to be a clue, like any of us care about his writing, or indeed him. And in the continuing series of Unnecessary White Lies from Tico, he decides to tell them he found his board at the end, but it was actually two mountains away. Two mountains away in 30 minutes? I have a tough time believing that. Yeah, he's a bullshit artist, but... They're probably like two slight slopes. I, th- I yeah. think Two Mountains was one of the shows on his porn channel. Ah, uh, yeah, good point. Mm. Twin know. Peaks. Two Mountains, One Valley. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure ejaculation. Thank you, Bill Ryan. So Selfie says that it's strange no one else recognised it as a fingerprint, and especially Susan, as she had the extra information that was given before the challenge. Susan says if Sophie had prior knowledge, why didn't she share it with everyone? And the answer to that is because everyone hadn't been uh, cast for another eight years yet. That challenge, I, I can't decide whether it was completely doable and they just fucked it up, or it was completely impossible and they did really well. Oh no, I think it was completely impossible and they didn't do well. <laughs> I think Jan Willem did well, I don't think anyone else did. Because the problem is it requires you to have four people at the locations who can... A, give instructions, and B, actually find things, Tico. And you also need someone at the compass who can follow instructions and actually comprehend what people are telling them. And you had this kind of unfortunate situation on both of those parts where Tico couldn't find anything, Sophie was being super vague, Frake did well, I guess, and Jan Willem did well, I guess, and you had Susan who just couldn't comprehend what these people were telling her. So they were never going to win it. No, and the video from the future challenge really didn't help with this one compared to the windmill. Because you see the fingerprint, but the four fingerprints that they show are basically so similar that it's completely random guess anyway. Yeah, and also it's far, far too quick for anyone to make a mental note of what the fingerprint looked like. So it's now day 14 in Lauerg, and everyone is in the pool. Frake trusts Susan implicitly. He can't imagine her being the mole, and if it is her, she deserves an Oscar. They share a cabin and information going forward. Susan says she was onto half for so long, but was worried that she would be the idiot who was duped by being friends with them all. Art then tells us there are three main suspects in the group, Sophie, Susan and Tico. Frake suspects Tico and Sophie, just like Susan, who is suspected by Tico. He's one of Sophie's suspects, as is Susan. Jan Willem is focusing on Sophie. And Frake and Jan Willem aren't that suspected. Is that a blind spot for the other candidates? And then they are taken to vegan, and it is like stepping back in time to old Spanish colonial times. Art reintroduces them to Tapitos, and tells them that five of them will make a topo. Completing topos of one colour will earn them money for the pot, and they'll each be using a traditional mode of transport to get around. Each time they cross paths, they can exchange Tapitos, and they have half an hour to make their trades, and each of them get five Tapitos as seed money. Now I pointed this out to Bindles early when we were chatting about this episode, but there is one of my favourite Vidum editor's jokes ever in the start of this challenge. Because you start with Sophie saying, it's so easy looking at art because he's easy on the eyes and he's so beautiful and they they put Vaseline on the screen and make it look like softcore porn. And then you cut almost immediately to Susan looking the least attractive that Susan has looked in any episode of this season. She has a double chin and is cross-eyed looking at art. <laughs> I didn't notice that. And it's so funny. 
I've gone back and watched it a couple of times. It's made me laugh two or three times today because I don't even know whether it was deliberate from the editors, but it's such a funny transition. You'd have to think it was deliberate that this is all all built up around the concept of looking into Art's eyes while reaching for his sack. And then you just cut to the other woman in the cast trying to look longingly at Art, but actually instead going a bit cross-eyed and having a double chin. And it's just, yeah, it's just perfect. So Jan Willem has a horse and buggy. He gets a red, two greens, and an orange. There are five colours to find. Blue, green, yellow, and red are all worth 250 euros each. And the orange is a question mark. Frake says as soon as you see a question mark in Vistamol, you want to know what it means. Tico saw this challenge in his future, so he knows what the orange one could mean. An exemption for him. So he wants it. I love that they basically trolled him with the video, because I think they realised he was the only person sort of stupid enough to go for the middle button in the in the future mm. thing. So they basically filled this video with as many sort of irrelevant decoy things as they could. They give him a street name. <laughs> It's so mean. They're so unnecessarily mean to Tico in this. Even I feel a little bit bad for him. <laughs> because, yeah, he gets so much unnecessary detail and tells his driver to go to the road that he saw in his future. And it means absolutely nothing. So, Sophie and Tico are both on tricycles, and Freak is in a horse and buggy. Sophie and Freak pass each other, but Freak doesn't stop. Tico and Jan Willem did the first trade, and they swap a red for a blue. Susan spots some trading and insists on trading with Jan Willem instead of Tico, and Tico claims he's not butthurt, but he really is. They both claim to have two orange pieces. Susan says everyone's going to go for the orange, as everyone wants the mystery. They swap an orange and a green one, and agree to loop around and swap again. This is a very interesting challenge. I like this challenge. It's easy to understand, it's complex to complete, it's very easy to sabotage. The only real downside is that i think i think the other like the non-orange torpedoes i think the price on them is a little bit too low that they're they're basically once the orange one is out of play the rest of it nobody really cares about i think if it was maybe 500 each that would have worked a lot better yeah i think the only reason they did that is because they didn't want to give away too much money and they wanted to make it a multiple of seven so in order to do that and add the 2000 euros or group exemption dilemma at the end they need to lowball the other torpedoes, which doesn't work out as well. So Frake's horse is slow. He ends up blocking the road. Then Susan and Frake swap. Frake says he has two oranges, meaning that Jan Willem was lying to Susan. Frake isn't sure that he wants to help her get the orange, but she says majority rules, and they swap an orange for a green. Notice the intensity of the season pickup with this challenge. There's a lot of fairly intense bargaining here going on. People are drawing their line in the sand a bit more as, for instance, Susan refusing to deal with Tigo at all, just ignoring him whenever they cross paths. I mean, it's an ideal situation, just ignoring Tigo. They should have given him a walkie-talkie for this challenge. What would be your tactic, do you think, in this challenge, if you were playing? Well, if I was a contestant and, and Tigo had told me he was going to pay a crystal logo, I would have gone straight in the other direction. <laughs> I think I probably would have realised everyone was going for the orange one and sort of figured, well, in the past, the torpedoes have been an exemption. So it's probably just going to be an exemption. I Like, I, I wouldn't have picked the non-elimination. So I would have thought it was an exemption and then just been like, as much as I want one, I don't think, like, you would have had as much of a chance with this one compared to some of the other 
exemptions, so I probably would have just gone for one of the money ones. Just whatever I had the most of at the start. I think it would have been very tempting to go for the orange, but if everyone was going to go for the orange and you weren't the mole, then you probably just pick a colour and try and at least get some money in the pot. It really depends if you are lucky enough to start out with an orange piece. If you don't have an orange piece to begin with, then yeah, just try to complete whatever colour you've got. But if you think you got a shot at the orange pieces, you pretty much want to go the route that Susan did, which is just agree to whatever conditions the other contestants have to ensure you can get all five pieces. Especially when they're believable conditions, too. And also, if a question mark's introduced into the game, you probably want to try and keep it out of the hands of the mole. Because the mole will know what's coming. And as a general rule, question marks tend to be something that the mole can do damage with if they get their hands on it. And then once you're down to only five players left, that question mark will become very, or most of the time will be very, very valuable too. It was a pretty high stakes if you just let the exemption fall into somebody else's hands, knowing that could very well be the final exemption of the game. So Susan gets her taxi driver to follow the horse in order to bully Freak into giving her the last orange piece. Tico finds Kaya Chrysologo from his dream, but sees absolutely nothing there. And then Susan and Freight make another trade. He agrees to complete our orange in exchange for being the only person to know what it means. And they swap a red from Susan for the final orange piece. Who did Susan meet up with multiple times? Was it Freak or Jan Willem? Freak. Yeah, with Freak, yeah. So where he gets they exchange the first orange piece and he still has one. And then they waste all that extra time having to try and cross paths again just to exchange for a piece that doesn't even put money into the pot. That was a bit of a strategic oversight on both their parts. Well, Tico says that later. He says him and Jan Willem are the only ones playing tactically, doing small circles instead of large ones. And then Sophie ended up uh, in Mindanao, I think, by the end of the challenge. So Tico and Freak swap a blue and a yellow. Susan refuses to swap anything with Tico again. And then Jan Willem and Freak swap a blue and a green. All Jan Willem needs is Sophie to appear with the green. Sophie has to turn left, but her taxi driver doesn't understand and turns right. And then Jan Willem and Tico swap a red and a blue, and Sophie spots Jan Willem right at the last second. When they finish the challenge, Susan is the only one that we know has a complete topo with all five orange pieces. She's not sure what she's happy with yet, but she's happy she completed it nonetheless. It is now time for the test. 20 questions about the identity and actions of the mole. Whoever knows least goes home, except for the mole who can never go home. Tico still has a yoker that he didn't play last week. And then brags about not using it again this week. Yeah, he's such a prick. Frake says Sophie and Tico are both on his list. They sabotage at the windmills and the fingerprint challenge. For Tico, there are only two options, Susan and Sophie. If he's wrong now, then Sophie is the mole, and he hangs on to his yoker for one more round. Sophie doesn't know whether it's worth still hedging her bets. Last time she put 12 questions on Susan and 8 on Tico, but he's leaning more towards Susan than ever before. Susan's still on Sophie, with Tico in second. Freak has a sudden panic that it might be Jan Willem, so puts a few questions on him. And Jan Willem is only on Sophie. She seems to be playing a double game. Art says that they earned their money due to luck rather than skill this episode. However, they are now more in tune with each other, and also the mole. Jan Willem is the first to be asked whether he completed a topo, and he completed the green one, earning him 250 euros, and he also gets a green screen. And then Susan is the next person asked, and she's told that her five orange pieces are worth 2,000 euros for the pot, or a group exemption. 
Now, ordinarily in these sort of dilemmas, the argument I will make is that the mole will always pick a group exemption because keep your group larger and all that sort of stuff. But there is no advantage to the mole from hiding behind people from what we know the rest of the season because it still ends up with a final three. There are still two more executions to come. It just prolongs the agony a little bit for one person, which is very interesting. And I'll also say we do know who should have gone home here. They do reveal that at the finale. They didn't reveal it for the episode three one, but they do reveal it for this one. If you were in Susan's position here, would you have taken the group exemption or the money? It depends if you're mole or contestant. As a mole, you still probably pick the group exemption just to keep money out of the pot. But as a contestant, I think at this point you know that there is not a chance that they're going to have four people in the final test. So you probably say, I'm going to run the risk and hope that it's not me if I were a contestant. Let's be honest, I think every single person in this final five probably would have picked the group exemption. I don't think that's a uniquely Susan thing. And then makes them look more moly in the process by keeping 2,000 euros out of the pot. And maybe, if they're not certain of who the mole is, maybe they attract enough attention from everyone else that's still left that makes somebody else switch their mole. I think most of the players are still uh, putting two people down on the quiz. I don't think anyone's quite all in yet on anybody. Yeah, I'm willing is. He's the only one, so everyone else is still splitting. Yeah, and maybe by Susan doing that, if she's not the mole, maybe Jan Willem thinks twice about going all in on on Sophie next quiz. So she obviously picks the group exemption, sending them all through to the eighth episode, and meaning they earn 250 euros of 3,000 for the challenge, 2,250 of 7,000 for the episode, and 13,450 of 39,750 for the season so far, 8,700 of which has been sent to Ellis Island. They could have earned an extra €26,500 from Ellis Island with interest. So they're not doing horrible in terms of their winning ratio. They've they've actually done a lot better the past couple episodes. Yeah, they're on about a third of the maximum, assuming that you don't trust Art's figures from a couple of weeks ago, which I don't. And Art ends the episode by telling them they'll be travelling by plane with five tickets to paradise. Yeah, not four tickets to paradise. Gotta love Eddie Money. Fun fact about The Office, just by Michael Scott saying that one line from the song, I think NBC had to pay an absurd amount of money to Eddie Money for using those lyrics. I can't remember what the exact exact amount was, but I want to say it was in the four or five figures. It was a lot of money. Just imagine how much Fox had to pay them for Paradise Hotel then. 60000 Jesus. <laughs> $60,000 for a throwaway line in the Benihana Christmas episode. So next time, Fidim goes Survivor, someone wins a Verestang for the finale, it's absolutely nothing personal, and hunting season begins before someone sees red. And I will also say as a preview for next episode, the person who goes home next episode would not have gone home this episode. Ooh, this episode had an impact. It did. This decision from Susan does change the course of the season. So, Mr. Saunders, who do you suspect? Number one suspect is Susan. Number two is Freak. And number three is Jan Willem. Number four is Sophie. But I'll probably switch Jan Willem and Sophie by the end of next episode, provided they're both still in it. 
Very interesting. Have you had all of the Final Five as your number one this season now? I don't think you have. Uh, You've suspected everyone in the Final Five, I think, now. Fixable, not Tigo. Everyone else has been number one at least once? Possibly. I know Freak's been up really high up there a couple times. Uh, so Freak, you've suspected twice. Jan Willem, you've suspected five times. Sophie, you've suspected three. Susan, you've suspected in the top, this is three. And Tico, you've not suspected at all for obvious reasons. Interesting. So it means I'm all over the place this season. Yeah. Next week is the first episode of two this season where we go down to one suspect. Just for the record. Have you guys got anything else you want to say? I'm good. I'm stoked. I'm stoked to revisit one of my favorite places on the planet. Yep, we are off to El Nido for the last two episodes of the season. And quick programming note: I like to do this at the start of uh, at the start of episode eight, but I'll do it now anyway. We are obviously, as is traditional, going to do the finale and the reunion back to back for episode nine. So you've got two more weeks of the season with us. So. Thank you for listening to our Vista Mall 2014 recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for an old mall in Hong Kong and the Philippines. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter at Logsukwaki, Bindles is a grim recapper, and I'm MJ Harmstone. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash rtvwarriors. Thank you as always to Marika for the subtitles, and we'll see you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next of flavoring. She done already had horses.